0: Well, hi, good morning. It's good to be with you all this morning. You made it through the ice. Hopefully it's melted by the time we get out of here. Um, if you're joining us for the first time this, this new year, uh, if this is your first time engaging with us, we've picked up in the new year with a new series. It's a three-part series, and we're in part two. And this new series is called This Changes Everything. And and we're looking at exploring the six values that we have as a church um, and and exploring how they do, in fact, change everything. And so last week, Dan Meyer explored for us the first two values, uh, authentic worship and attractive witness, and how they change everything. And then this week, I want to spend a little bit of time exploring with you the values of intentional growth and genuine community with you all. And how, how they, I think that they do, in fact, change everything. And so, our main scripture passage this morning comes from the book of John in chapter 6, verse 60 through 69. So, if you have your Bible with you or you like to read it on your phone, it'll be on the screen for you to follow along as well if, if you enjoy that as well. But would you follow along with me as we dive into this passage? John chapter 6, starting in verse 60. It says this, it says, on hearing it, many of his disciples, many of Jesus' disciples, said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? Jesus continues to say, The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words that I have spoken to you, they're full of the Spirit, and they're full of life. Yet there are some of you who don't believe. And it says, For Jesus had known that from the beginning which of them did not believe and would betray him. And he went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to the meeting unless the Father has enabled them. And the scripture says, Concludes It says, From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And this is my favorite part of the passage. And then it's just Jesus and the twelve. And Jesus looks around and says, You don't want to leave too, do you? He said, ask the twelve. And Simon Peter answers him and says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words... Of eternal life, we have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You see, we pick up this passage in the middle of Jesus' ministry, right in the middle of John's gospel. Jesus is moving through life and he's accumulated a decent sized group of followers. At this point, leading up to verse 60, he's he's teaching. About, uh, specifically about how he's the bread of life, how, how, how he is the sustaining factor of life, that, that people get their, what they need from him, and that this bread of life, if they come through him, that he points them to God, that he offers them eternal life. And he shows that whoever eats this bread, meaning him, will never go hungry, And and many of the people who've been hanging around him, they get a little thrown off by this. A little bit skeptical and sort of freaked out, honestly. They start to say, "The, the bread of life? You? That makes us not hungry anymore? Aren't you that guy that was the son of Joseph of Nazareth? You really? That guy? Are you sure? And so then they begin to leave. They begin to turn away and and they say, this is a hard teaching. They think to themselves, ah, I don't understand. I'm not sure that I could follow that. And, and frankly, the scripture tells us Jesus not surprised by any of that. He's completely unsurprised as these people turn away and move on to whatever other venture they have in life besides following him. And then he's left with the twelve, and I can imagine there's there's a little bit of awkward silence in the midst of it. Everybody's starting to leave. The twelve are kind of looking around and uh, trying to lock eyes with each other, like, are are we gonna leave too, or are you staying? You know, should I stay? And and then Jesus finally breaks the silence, and he says, "Do you want to leave too?" And Simon Peter, good old Simon Peter, pipes up, and he says, "Lord." To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Have you ever been a huge fan of somebody? Someone, a, a, a celebrity, an athlete, an author, a musician, a politician. Has there ever been somebody in life that you're like, I'm a huge fan of that person? Happens to me all the time. I become huge fans of people like, like that. Um, I love kind of cheering on and supporting people. And so it's really easy for me to become a huge fan of somebody. I've become a huge fan of authors and theologians. I've become a huge fan of artists. I've become a huge fan of athletes. And, and one person in particular that, that kind of throughout my life that I've always been a huge fan of is a man named Peyton Manning. And if you're unfamiliar with Peyton Manning, Peyton Manning, uh, he's, a, he's a well-accomplished former professional football player. And, and he happened to play in the town of Indianapolis, which is where I spent a good part of my life. And so therefore, I became Peyton Manning's biggest fan. He was my guy. And I was reflecting on being a fan of Peyton. Like, what did it actually mean for me to be a fan of Peyton Manning? What did I do? What was being a fan like? What did I not do? And, and, and what did it make me like? And so I made a list. I made a little bolded list of, of if I'm a fan of Peyton, then dot, 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 and just hit the list of bullet points. And here's what I came up with. If I'm a fan of Peyton, then I know a ton about him. I know everything there is to know about Peyton Manning. But I've actually never met the guy. <laughs> if I'm a fan of Peyton Manning, then I, I cheer him on in most every instance... But but it's really cuz I want him to win the game and do good cuz it's going to make me happy. Come on, Peyton, do something good for me. Just make my day. Just try to win a good game. If I'm a fan of Peyton Manning, then I argue with other people about he's the best. Whatever. Whoever you're a fan of, not nearly as good as the person that I'm a fan of. And when people criticize him, it made me so mad. Stop criticizing him. I'm his biggest fan. He doesn't deserve that criticism. Stop it. How dare you? If I'm a Peyton Manning, then I support him like crazy. I'm all about him. Unless he were to start kind of underperforming or if he really started doing something that I didn't like, then I could, I always knew, like, I could be a fan of someone else if I wanted to. I'm not, like, really tied to being a fan of his. I'm just a fan. And finally, the last bullet point that I realized if I'm a fan of Peyton Manning, then I don't actually have to change anything about me to be his fan. But that when people think about who's associated with Peyton Manning, they think about me. And yet, if I'm a fan of Peyton Manning, then nothing about me actually has to change whatsoever. Bet you didn't know you are gonna get a crash course in fandom, but the literal definition of the word fan thanks to Merriam-Webster's dictionary, is someone who's an enthusiastic devotee or an ardent supporter of someone, and then it says, and they're usually a spectator. Fans admire and support from a distance. Fans are spectators. They're out of the game. And because of that, being a fan, it doesn't actually change a person at all. Nothing about a fan becomes different because... You're a fan of somebody. And this is, just, this is just Charlie speaking. This is just my opinion. But I think, I really think that it's very plausible that the church in this country has a lot of people in it who are just fans of Jesus. That we have a lot of people who are fans of Jesus. I'm a huge admirer of that guy. You know, I, it makes me so upset when people criticize him. More, more people should join a support team. Like, we need more people in this fan base. Those are the things that we maybe think or say. But then as we do that, nothing about us is actually any different. Nothing about us is changed in any way because we're just fans you see in this passage from John chapter 6 we learn that as Jesus is going about his earthly ministry he actually has a lot of fans he, in, 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 in his earthly ministry we, we, he's got a lot of people that are hanging around him today's world we'd call him famous And he's teaching a group of people around him, a group of people that the scripture actually calls his disciples at that point, labels them as such. And he begins to call them into a more intimate relationship with him. He begins to ask them to kind of come in even a little bit further into relationship with him. You could say he's starting to ask them to go from being a fan of his to actually being a follower of his. You see, Jesus doesn't want them admiring him from a distance. No, he wants them to be transformed into a new type of person. He wants to be them to be a follower because that's exactly what they are created to be. That's the entire intention of his creating them. See, so if a fan is a person who's an admirer or devotee from a from a distance as a spectator, the definition of a follower is literally a person who imitates another person. Followers, then, they're just automatically changed people because they're just becoming more and more and more like the person that they're following all the time. That is by definition what the life of a follower is. Someone who's just gradually becoming more and more and more like, more and more and more imitating the person that they're following. In Matthew chapter 4 when Jesus calls his first disciples he says, follow me. He gives them that charge, that command, come follow me. And then there's a second part that he makes sure that they know that when they follow him, that it's going to change everything. He says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me, and you'll be different because of it. He says, follow me, and I'll make you into something new. The passage in 2 Corinthians tells us that as we start to follow Jesus, we're transformed into an entirely new creation. Jesus calls us to follow him, not to become fans of his and you see the thing that changes everything is when we go from being a fan to being a follower and the the values that we're talking about today the values of intentional growth and genuine community they're impossible to separate from what it means to actually be a follower of Jesus and not just a fan And and frankly, that's why they're two of our core values as a church. That's why we spend so much time leaning into them. It's because they are so directly connected to what it is to live the life of a follower of Jesus. But I do want to stop here and caveat something for us, because I think the temptation, at least if you're like me, could be that you start to hear us talking about values, especially a value like intentional growth or genuine community, and a lot of us are checklist people, and so you're sitting there, and you're pulling out your notebook, you got your pen, and you're like, all right, let me add two more to my checklist of things that I'm doing in life. It's already pretty long. Over here, I have my checklist of things that I do for Jesus, and I—let me add—intentional growth— and genuine community. Okay, now I gotta, I gotta I'll just, I'll, I'll do those too, I guess. But, but I think it's important for us to recognize that these are not checklist items. That this is not something that we just go through. These are not values that we just think about and say like, I guess I'll just do that too. Like maybe if I have time for it, I'll figure out if I can lean into those two things. Let me check my list. No, that's, that's not anywhere close to what the scriptures say about them. You see, after everyone else leaves in this passage in John chapter six, Peter says to Jesus, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And yeah, he's talking about eternal life in this future, forever life, but but if you take a closer look at the word eternal in the original language, you could could even argue that it might even be more adequately translated into a word like perpetual. Perpetual. Like ongoing life, like past, present, and future life, that you have the words of forever life, of past, present, and future life, that Peter is saying, Jesus, you you have the key to unlock everything that is to experiencing full life in its entirety of its potential, both past, present, and future. So to where else would we go? that's backed up by Jesus, what he says about himself in John 10.10 10, when he says, the whole reason I came is so that you would have that kind of life, that you would have that full, abundant life that can't be found anywhere else except for in relationship with me. That is why I'm here. And that's what Peter's recognizing in this John chapter six passage. Jesus, you have access to that kind of life, to where else would we go? You see, following Jesus by engaging in these values of intentional growth and genuine community, they're not checklist items because if they were checklist items, then they wouldn't change everything. They'd just be another thing. But no, these values, they change everything. Living out these values is how we experience this perpetual, ongoing, forever, abundant life that Jesus says, I came to give you this. And so I think it's worthwhile that we would figure out what it looks like to lean into them. The other day someone was asking me um, what I was preaching on this weekend. And I said, I'm, you know, these two values, intentional growth and genuine community. And, and I said intentional growth, and they, looked, they started get, looking a little bit concerned. And they're like, really? One of our core values as a church is to grow and get more people to come? That seems a little strange. Like, I'm honestly a little bit concerned by that. And I laughed for a second. And then it occurred to me, like, maybe we need to do a little bit of redefining of what the word growth means um, and how we think about it as followers of Christ. Because when Jesus talks about growth, he's talking about our formation. He's talking about us being transformed. He uses all kinds of agricultural meta- metaphors that talk about when we grow, we become transformed. We thrive, we flourish, we blossom. These are all the things that happen when we grow. He uses John chapter 15, starting in verse five, I think is a really good example Of what he says, like, this is what I mean by growth. In verse 5, he starts in in one of his teaching passages. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And if, if you do not remain in me, you are thrown in, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers, Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. You see, he's saying our growth is just that. It's our ability to bear fruit. It's our formation and it's our ability to bear fruit as a result of formation. That that's what we mean by intentional growth. That we're constantly be, being formed more and more and more into the character and the likeness of the person that we're following. That that's what growth means. Ephesians 4 speaks to it that, that God's desire is that we would, we would become more mature and attain to the fullness of Christ. That this is what results from our intentional growth, that we actually become more and more into the fullness and attainment of who Christ is, and that it just overflows like crazy from our life. C.S. Lewis puts it the church's mission this way so well, when he says, the church exists for nothing else but to draw people into Christ, to make them little Christ's. If the church is not doing that, then all the cathedrals, the clergy, the missions, the sermons, even the Bible itself, are simply a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose. It's even doubtful whether the whole universe was created for any other purpose, he concludes. Our mission, then is to help form people into more and more the character and the likeness of Christ and to have that become true of ourselves as well. So then, I do think it's worth asking, uh, what forms you? If part of this life is being formed more and more into who Jesus is, then what's forming you? I mean, we're all being formed by something, whether we mean to or not, whether it's intentional or not. The world and the life around us, it does form us. It makes us more and more into whoever we're becoming, whatever that is. We just get to have the opportunity to intentionally think about it and say, who, who and what do I want to be formed into? You see, the things we watch, the things we read, the things we listen to, the people we spend time with, where we find ourselves, where we spend time on a daily basis, all those things work together to form us. So, so the question is, are those things, are you leaning into things that are forming you into the person that you want to be? Or the opposite? Being formed into and intentionally growing into this type of person, it, we don't just stumble into it. We don't just happen in, to becoming more and more like Jesus. We don't just accidentally do that, which is why part of the value, of the word intentional becomes so important, so clear, that, that we have to intentionally do that. If we want to be formed into this type of person, the type of person that Jesus says, I have come to give you full, abundant life. Being formed into this type of person is exactly how you experience everything that I have for you in this life and more, and we can't just stumble into it. That we have to intentionally find ourselves putting one foot in front of the other and figuring out, how am I working to be formed into that type of person? Pastor and author Rich Viotis, he has a pretty good pulse on the fact that that we don't just accidentally become formed in this way, and that there's actually a daily commitment to reforming and re-being formed in this way as we hope to intentionally grow. And he says this, which I love so much. He says, Jesus tells us to pray for our daily bread, but sometimes we'd rather have a Costco relationship with God. We'd rather have stuff in bulk, so that we don't have to come back to God so often. And then he continues, says, But we can't live without daily dependence. He says, In the kingdom of God, daily dependence is greater than bread in bulk. You see, true life, the true, truest, best, most full life that comes from following Jesus. It's only found through intentionality. It's only found through daily dependence on him. And this means that it requires that we have to pay attention. We have to be intentional. We have to be aware of of what's forming us, what parts of our life are forming us in the ways that we want to be and, and to continue to lean into those and what parts of our life are not doing that so much and to lean away from those things. It just requires... That intention, it requires that we shift from being a fan of Jesus to being a follower of Jesus. And it does change everything. And the last part of that, too, is that we were never, ever, 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 ever meant to do this alone. See, that's why these values go together. They're kind of inextricably intertwined. It's impossible to separate them. You can't intentionally grow outside of the contents of genuine community. And you can't have genuine community without experiencing intentional growth alongside of it. The two can't be separated. They always go together. They're inextricably linked. You see, genuine community is... Is, is the foundational part of the entire Bible. You open up the Bible to Genesis 1, the very first page, and God is existing in genuine community in the midst of the Trinity. That's how he creates the world. Jesus builds his entire ministry on the foundation of genuine community. In John 6... When when the disciples, when the 12, they decide to stay, they decide they're going to be followers, not fans, they do it together. Peter says, to whom shall we go? He doesn't say, to whom shall I go? He says, to whom shall we go? We do this together. There are countless examples from the first to the last page of the scriptures of the thread that is genuine community that exists throughout all of it and alongside others in true relationship. That's exactly how we experience this John 10.10, this John 6, perpetual, abundant, full life. It can't be found anywhere else except for inside the confines of genuine community. And this type of genuine community, it, it, it actually allows us to grow into our full potential of who God has us to be. Everything he has for us, And everything that he wants us to be formed in, genuine community, is like the key that unlocks everything that allows us to experience and thrive and flourish into the person that he has for us to be. But so the question begs, like, what is it? (laughs) What is genuine community? I have community, I think. But is it genuine? Well, the scriptures do a a pretty intentional job of defining it. So I want to lay that out for you. Here's how the scriptures... Define genuine community. A community that loves one another, a community that serves one another, a community that confesses to one another, that prays for one another, that encourages one another, that bears burdens for one another, that cares for one another, that accepts one another, that's kind to one another that lives in harmony with one another, forgives one another, is hospitable to one another, honors one another, belongs to one another, is devoted to one another, speaks truthfully to one another, teaches one another, agrees with one another, looks out for one another, worships one another, and finally lays down its life for one another. That's the Scripture's definition of genuine community. That's the type of community that allows us to live this full, abundant life, to experience everything that God has for us and who he created us with full intention of being. So do you have that in your life? And if not, are you seeking that? I do think it'll change everything. But I do want to acknowledge that just because these values and this value of genuine community, just because it's one of the key values of God's church doesn't make it just massively easy to experience. You see, growing up, my friends and I, occasionally we found ourselves at the local amusement park. And there was a roller coaster there. I'm not a roller coaster person. I, uh, I love going up to the top of things, but I hate heights, and I still haven't figured out how those two things work together. But I'm not a roller coaster person. <laughs> not by the slightest stretch. And there's a roller coaster at the local amusement park that we would venture to. It's called The Beast. And I wanted no part of The Beast. Um, except my friends were like, You don't understand. You've got to go on The Beast. This will change everything. And so I finally. Relented and they said, I'll, I'll give it a shot. And I got on the coaster, I sat down in the little car, put the thing that's supposedly supposed to keep you safe over my lap, and the coaster started. And it's this old rickety wooden roller coaster. And it's like banging me around. We're going up the hill, and I'm getting jolted back and forth. My head is throbbing. We're going fast. I have no idea where we are. It is not fun at all. It shocked the bejesus out of me, and I have no idea what's going on. I was not in the slightest enjoying it. But eventually, the roller coaster started to become a little bit more smooth. And eventually, I even found myself enjoying it. And then by the end of the ride, by the end of the ride on the roller coaster, I was having the time of my life. It was truly everything that my friends had made it out to be. I just had to dig in and experience it. I do think that's how genuine community works in our lives. See, wading into the waters of genuine community can be really rocky, can be really uncomfortable, can really jostle us around to start. It's a broken world. It's not as easy as you'd like to think it should be. But I think it's worth the uncomfortable step because like with the beast, eventually when we're fully immersed in it, We get to experience all the goodness that God has in store for us. Through it, we get to experience why it's one of these values that we hold to so tightly. And it leads to so much abundance of life. I promise you that it will be full of goodness. Will you pray with me? Lord, we lift this time up to you. We thank you for the way that you've wired us, the way that you've wired this world to be one in which intentional growth and genuine community are part of our DNA. It's part of how we experience the full life that we were called to live. And it will change everything. God, I pray for this room, for those who are online and in person, that you would move and transform and shape us as your followers, and that as your followers, we would be compelled, we would be excited to lean into these two values, to see what you have for us in the midst of them, to experience them in the fullness of the way that you so desire. God, we thank you for this time and this morning these people who have gathered together to be your church. In your son's name we pray. Amen.